Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives revenue and retention for the organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. For today's episode, I'm joined by Arjun Devgan, who is the VP of Global Customer Success and Services at Percolate here in San Francisco. Arjun is passionate about product adoption, and we'll be talking about how change management is a critical aspect of adoption and what customer success professionals can do to facilitate change. So Arjun, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me on the show, Kirsten. So it looks like you're on your second term as a customer success VP, and congratulations on that. How did you end up in customer success? What was your career path into our field? So I came up through the consulting and professional services ranks. Um, this is my fourth uh, SaaS startup uh, over the last sort of 18 years. Okay. Uh, I've primarily been in sort of consultative customer-facing roles, um, you know, both hands-on and leadership, helping um, customers deploy different types of technologies. I grew up at NetSuite. Um, I joined them early on. I was one of the first four people uh, when they were building out their consulting team. Uh, ended up spending 12 years there, uh, really enjoying sort of the opportunity to scale and grow the business, um, created the first version of their implementation methodology, helped open an office in Denver, spent five years in Colorado, moved back. Um, and, uh, you know, once I left NetSuite, it's been fun getting back into smaller size companies and building customer success from scratch. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit more about Percolate. What does the company do and how is your customer success and services team set up there? Yep. So Percolate is uh, the leading content marketing platform, but our vision is a bit broader than that. Uh, our okay. tagline is the system of record for marketing. Uh, and if you talk to our founders, their belief was that marketing is the last department that doesn't have an end-to-end system to operationalize sort of their uh, business processes and link it back to the strategy of the department. So you look at okay. financial systems, ERPs have been, has been around for a long time. CRM systems have been around for a long time. HR has HRIS systems marketing is sort of the last bastion. Um, we uh, effectively allow the world's largest sort of Fortune 2000 companies uh, have a single place where they can view and plan and collaborate on all of their global sort of omni-channel campaigns. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about your team there. Yeah, so we have um, a pretty specialized post-sales team um, for, you know, smallish company or a couple hundred people. Okay. Uh, we have sort of six unique disciplines. So we have account management that's sort of tip of the spear, partnering with customers to really manage the relationship and sort of ultimately accountable uh, for value realization. Um, they work with a success management team that is very focused on adoption consulting. 
So you can tell from mm-hmm. my passion for adoption yeah. consulting <laughs> and change management, that is something yeah. that um, that's sort of their mandate. Uh, so they're closely partnering with the account managers on value realization. Uh, we have two professional services team, one focused on implementation. Uh, our projects are long. They're three, four, five months to deploy complex change and do uh, you know, several hundred uh, strong user bases. Uh, okay. and we have a technical team that does integrations because MarTech is a, just a tech stack that is very heavily integrated with other applications. Um, and then we have an education and a support function that sits very close to each other. They're two separate teams, but we put them under one umbrella because okay. we're really focused on self-service at scale, um, you know, both inbound and, and sort of self-service options. So that sort of is the full suite of our post-sales uh, teams. Okay, cool. That helps for context. So as you and I were getting ready for the interview and we were talking, we got to talking a lot about change management and how that's really kind of an often neglected aspect of onboarding and product adoption. Um, That said, change management is a term that gets tossed around a lot. So could you define it for our audience? Uh, yes. In the context of our conversation, I would say change management is just being sensitive to the behavioral and business process change you're about to put the end users through uh, when you embark on a technology project. Um, I think being insensitive to it and and just throw, sort of just slamming it down their throats is very, very hard for those folks. And uh, if you're not sensitive to it and you're not conscious about change management, what you end up doing is uh, dealing with organ rejection, uh, where the organization, despite a well-implemented solution, does not successfully adopt the technology. So Arjun, why do you think that so many organizations neglect change management as a part of their tech rollout plan? This problem is articulated in the ebook we authored here at Percolate called the Percolate Adoption Framework. Uh, it's a bit MarTech-centric, but you can easily apply that to other complex software rollouts. Um, you know, it states in the ebook that the average number of applications in our tech stacks is sort of exploding. Uh, mm-hmm. Large enterprise, sorry, large enterprises typically have over a thousand applications in their tech stacks, and I think we've just become insensitive to what that does to the end user. Uh, you know, we try to buy in technology and deploy technology to solve every one of our problems. But if the end user has to log into four, five, 12 different applications to do their job, uh, it really you know, creates a, a big change management challenge for them. Yeah, I see that all all the time in the companies we work with. You know, it's, it's one thing to think about all the efficiencies that you get when you choose and roll out a new piece of technology. But often, I think the companies we work with forget a little bit about the fact that it's a whole new process or several, you know, sometimes hundreds of new processes for the users that have to adopt the new, the new software. And so it's, um, it's interesting. And I think it's a pretty widespread challenge. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in the other thing I talk about when I do the sort of talk track on the adoption framework Uh is I think it's really important for every software company and then every consumer of software technology to understand where they sit on that change management spectrum, right? So not all technologies require the same amount of change. So I have this concept of a virtual wall. Um, you know, there's obviously a full scale, but on one side, you have technologies like Slack or Asana, where the if you think about it, it's bottoms up, right? You, you, you get it into the hands of the users and the simplicity and the usability virally drives adoption across those user groups and they invite their friends to it, et cetera. And that's kind right. of the go-to-market strategy of those companies, the products designed that way. And, and that's sort of you know how productivity tools work. And on the other side of the fence, you've got Salesforce or Workday or NetSuite or you know even Percolate, like we're squarely on the, that side. You're fundamentally asking people to change the way 
they do their everyday job. They're going to have to do something that was in Excel or in Word in a system. Even when customer success software was created for the first time, that was the case, right? Uh, so being understanding on what which side of the fence you're on, is it the throw over the fence and it'll virally spread versus is this a thoughtfully drive change management type software rollout is really important. Uh, and then there's a full spectrum, right? So I, I always tell you know software companies, be aware of where your customers are going to be on that spectrum. Um, you know, how complicated is your software? How mature is your customer? Have they had experience implementing complicated technology? Mm-hmm. Um, what else is changing within the organization at the same time as your software implementation? Because software purchases are often, you know, mm-hmm. part of a broader technology or digital transformation effort, right? So it's not just about that one software. There's a lot else going on in the organization. Well, uh, and they, I think, get lumped together around around budget cycles a lot too. Because, sure. you know, right at the end of the year, everyone gets their new budget for the next year and then everyone buys their new stuff at the same time. Yep. <laughs> it can create a lot of chaos. Yeah, and we're all competing for for time, right? Like, you know, right. if, 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 if we all think we're unique snowflakes in, the, in terms of uh, selling software or technology solutions that can help, you know, transform our customers' lives, uh, they, they are, they're dealing with dozens of companies or I, I guess it's a thou- thousands of companies that are doing that since, you know, the, the numbers suggest that there's, you know, a lot of uh, applications invading these tech stacks. Yeah. So I want to give our listeners some really practical advice on how to facilitate change with their customers. So let's start from the beginning of a customer lifecycle. How can the sales team set up the customer success team and new customers for success in terms of change management? Sure. So I think one, I'll link back to my original point, which is be aware of where you fall on that change management spectrum, because it's not a one size fits all. Uh, But once you've established that, I think one of the most creative things an organization can do is move some of your deployment and sort of, you know, rollout processes and methodology into a very neatly packaged pre-sales, you know, artifact for your for your customer. Why should they have to go through a cold start after they commit to being a customer? Why should they have to start and then learn and realize everything they need to do? Can we give them a head start on, hey, start to think about the kinds of people that you will need to make this successful. Start to think about these questions you need to answer in order to deploy uh, successfully. Um, here's a, you know, uh, a worksheet on that you can start to fill out. So I think having little tools, uh, I I guess the easiest way to define it is, can you create a sales-friendly package of your hopefully very robust onboarding and adoption process, right? Uh, And and share that with your your customer before they uh, come on board. Yeah, and I think sales friendly is the key to what you just said, because I've in the past gotten pushback from sales teams on presenting anything that has to do with the complexity of onboarding during the sales cycle, because they're worried it will scare the customer, will slow down their deal. And I mean, those are valid concerns. So I think that it has to be something that your team and the sales team both agree is not going to do either of those things, scare the customer or slow things down, um, but really prepares the customer well for what they're going to be getting into once they do sign so that they can get off on the right foot. Yes. And I, you know, to the sales team, I would say, so would you prefer they get scared after they sign if you think they're <laughs> going to sign before, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I get their point. And to the yep. customer success team, I would say, if, if the sales team doesn't buy 
your pre-package, why would a customer get excited by it, right? right. It, it should be, the sales team is also a customer to some extent. They need to be excited by this and say, oh my God, this is going to help me accelerate this deal past state seven to close because when our, our, our future customer sees this, they're going to see how robust our onboarding process is, how we differentiate ourselves in terms of readiness. I mean, this is something we take you know pride in at Percolate. We Right. are heavily involved pre-sales as a post-sales team, proudly sharing our sort of onboarding process, our adoption strategy, or our implementation methodology, because we think it can be a differentiator, and it, it is a differentiator in terms of how we you know, drive customers through that sort of last stage of their purchasing process. Yeah, and I think that's ideal. So it, yeah. it's definitely something that people should strive for. Yeah, I mean, I think you've probably seen a lot of companies, their first stage of their customer journey is before they become a customer, right? Right. Uh, like ours is called evaluating. It's actually the customer evaluating the software. So they're actually already started their journey as a future Percolate customer, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's talk about onboarding. So during onboarding, what are some ways that customer success professionals can help customers through what can be a really intense period of change? Uh, yeah, I would say elaborating your implementation or onboarding process to be more than just functionality and requirements, uh, integrating uh, communication planning into the process, uh, even if it's internal comms. And, and by the way, you know, there's a light touch way to do this. So if you're a scaled business, it's tools and templates that you can share with the customer. If it's high touch business, you could have a customer success manager partnering very closely with the customer. Um, you know, you can integrate an adoption work stream, uh, you know, make sure that if it's a you know large multi-hundred user rollout uh, or a multi-thousand user rollout, there is an adoption or change management thread that is separate from the actual configuration of the software. Uh, so I would say those are the things you can do to start the conversation early um, and, and not make it about you implement and then you start to talk about adoption. Like that's too late. You have to start the change management discussions early. Um, and maybe integrate it back to the pre-sales point we just talked about, right? Like how about bringing it up even before the implementation in the pre-sales process and starting the conversation there. Yeah, got it. Okay, so let's say you've done all of that and your customer has made it through onboarding. So now all the change is done, right? Or do you still need to be thoughtful about change management and adoption as you go forward? Oh, there's a saying about change being constant, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think we're fortunate that the modern customer success account management team has evolved to being very tightly integrated with the entire customer journey and, 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 an organiz and a group that stays engaged with our customers throughout their life cycle. Because let's say you nailed the implementation, you successfully went live. Value realization in most software is a journey. It doesn't happen on day one, or at least it evolves over time. Uh, there's business process change, there are personnel changes, there's new product releases in most companies every month or every quarter, there's new functionality coming out. So change is constant and um, helping your customers deal with that change by having ideally playbooks or sort of predefined plays on how they will react to a product release that's coming out that can be beneficial to them or mitigate a risk that is manifested by their sort of super user or admin leaving the company is, is, is all change management, right? It's helping them understand that these things happen mm -hmm. and you as their business partner have solutions uh, and can work with them to sort of mitigate the, the risks uh, that these changes bring about. Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical to keep 
um, thinking about how you manage change as you go forward with the client. Because if you don't, what that can often be a symptom of um, is a customer who's not going to stick with you in the long term. Because if you're not putting in the time to help customers through the ongoing change, what it means, and they're not asking you, if they're not asking you to, um, what it means is that they're still using the product the same way they were when they were first implemented, unless they have somebody on the team who's really a go-getter and is trying to figure stuff out on their own. And that means that all of the features that you've rolled out and all of the, the new processes that you've introduced through your solution um, haven't been rolled out in your customer. And that can be a huge problem. You know, maybe not the first year, but certainly down the road when, you know, they're maybe looking at competing products that have those same things, but they don't think that you have because you never helped them to understand it or roll it out. So it can be a huge problem if you're not doing that on an ongoing basis, I think. For sure. And, and, you know, I think the way to think about this is the reason change management is important is the outcome of poor change management is that the users blame the product in most cases, right? Uh, or they don't blame the product. They say, hey, the product's fine, but it's just not going to work for us. We're different, right? Right. And one of the most critical responsibilities of a customer success manager is to be a therapist of sorts because what you're doing is you're benchmarking that customer in terms of where they are versus where a normal customer in their life cycle should be. Um, I had a call with a customer two weeks ago talking about our adoption framework. And the question they asked us was, they said, here's our usage, where we are. Here's kind of what we've accomplished in the eight weeks since we've been using Percolate. Is this good or bad? And you know, helping them understand that they were actually doing great even because without that benchmark, they may have thought they were failing. And you know, change management, part of change management, helping them understand you're doing great. You are exactly where you should be. You know, we should have, you know, here's a milestone that we have put in for at the 90-day mark, and you are progressing towards that milestone, and that milestone isn't 100 percent value realization. It's you know, 50% of the things we had agreed on achieving in the first 90 days, right? So, uh, you know, that's kind of the role of the customer success organization from a change management standpoint is really helping the customer understand, you know, how they're doing relative to the change they're going through. Uh, because it's without that, you don't know, you don't have a measure and you may think you're failing when you're not and, and give up and go look for another piece of software. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today, I'd like to talk about one type of consulting engagement we offer at the Success League. Customer success deep dives last between three days and two weeks and are focused on helping companies plan a customer success program tailored to their organization. Common deep dive topics include metrics and goals, hiring and compensation, customer journey mapping, and segmentation. Each deep dive session includes concrete deliverables like business models and annual plans that you can quickly put to use. If you need help with planning for 2019, a deep dive engagement is a great way to kickstart your efforts. Visit the consulting page on our website, thesuccessleague.io, for more information. I also want to mention StrikeDeck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. 
Quick reports can be easily developed through the analytics tab and tasks can be tracked on the task manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple to use yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now back to our interview. So Arjun, clearly having users on board with any new solution is a big part of adoption. What are some ways that your team has helped users through, through this kind of change? So I mentioned the Percolate adoption framework earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something we launched earlier this year. It's available on our website. It's inspired by a 31-year-old model called the Managing Complex Change Model. Okay. Um, and uh, we got to kind of put our own spin on it and modernized it. Um, very applicable to sort of multi-thousand user rollouts. And so the five building blocks of that f- adoption framework, I'll sort of briefly describe them, are vision. Vision is clearly stating the objectives, the business objectives of the technology transformation project you're about to embark on, sharing that with every single user that is going to be impacted by the change, kind of articulating the what's in it for me, um, Mm -hmm. and reinforcing that over and over again. Uh, The second building block is plan, which is having a plan to roll it out and a plan to support the rollout once it's done, sort of an ongoing support model, and really making sure your initial onboarding plan is mapped to your organization's ability to digest change. Uh, The third pillar is team, helping the organization or customer understand what are the right roles and responsibilities, like what is the team internally they need to make this Uh successful, Uh, and making sure those people have the appropriate level of sponsorship, empowerment, uh, to make sure the change happens successfully. Uh, Then there's skills. That's the fourth uh, building block. This is a lot about enablement. So it's a bit more than training because it's actually taking the skills piece and integrating it with the other building blocks. Um, And we talk a little bit about how at the end of the day, for most enterprise software deployments, there's three primary stakeholders that you need to worry about in terms of skill building. There's the executive who is looking to get insights from the system, but may not spend a lot of time in it. There's the user, uh, both senior and junior, that is doing their job in the system. And there's mm-hmm. the admin who needs to operate the system you know, going forward, right? Um, and then the last building block, which is my favorite because it's so controversial, is incentives. Uh, it's about you know, negative and positive incentives that when connected with the vision, allow you to make sure that people use the software. Because a lot of software ends up as, as shelfware because I think yeah. we aren't as thoughtful about the incentives. And you know, somebody recently asked me, why, should, why do you need incentives? You just tell them to use it. Um, and that doesn't quite work. Okay, so I love incentives and compensation and exploring how those really drive behavior. So tell me more about incentives. How have you seen those facilitate change and improve adoption with your customers at Percolate? Yes, so... I think I can see why some people say, I don't understand incentives, Arjun. Why, why, why don't you just tell people to use it? Um, and I think maybe if you had to uh, submit your timesheet in to get paid and that was what you had to do, <laughs> that would be a forcing function. But I would argue that's an incentive that is uh, for an you incentive. to use the yeah. system, right? So, uh, but I mean, think about this. There's so much software out there. A lot of software that is impacting end users now is replacing manual processes or the Office suite or the Google suite. And so people have an alternative. You can't actually tell them you can no longer use Microsoft Word or you no longer can you know, walk over to Kirsten and get her approval by tapping her on the shoulder. You right. need to do it through the system. So... We talk about incentives in our adoption framework. And the first thing we said was, 
Our customers said mandates absolutely help, but they don't work as a driver of adoption. So if you're if that's your only strategy, you're, it's not going to work. There's going to be a mutiny at some point. People are going to throw up their arms, and it's not going to work. Right. Um, so mandates can be part of your strategy, but at the end of the day, it's about incentives. The most effective incentive in our uh, customer base was was something that was very mature. We have four or five customers who have done this. They have linked the adoption goals for of the technology project directly to the business objectives and their internal OKR, MBO process that they use to measure performance, right? Mm-hmm. So they're deploying the technology to solve the same problems that they're asking people to solve with their everyday work. Um, and it's hard to do. I don't think every or, you have to have very thoughtful MBO or OKR process to be able to do that. So that's the ultimate sort of holy grail of incentives. But there's a lot of little tactical stuff you can do. I think everything from I was at a customer that was handing out awards to their, <laughs> you know, to their users yeah. the other day. I think one was like Clean Data Award, uh, Most At Mentions Award is really cute, and it's a little thing, but it got people excited. Sure. Uh, you know, you can gamify it. You can do you know Starbucks cards. Yep. And there is such a thing as a negative incentive. If something they're doing today happens offline or in a system that you can take away, you should take it away. Hoping they change it, you know, change their process over to the software without taking of the system is actually not creating the right negative incentives. So, uh, again, I think it's a controversial and a sort of interesting topic, and you have to marry it to the culture of your organization because some organizations' mandates work. That's just how it works. Some organizations are very democratic, and if you do a mandate and that's your only strategy, it actually makes it worse, right? Um, right. So very interesting, uh, you know, building block, if you will, from the adoption framework. Yeah, I I love that you mentioned tying the um, goals to the use of the solution because I think that that's probably the best way to do it. Um, if if a I mean I'll use a CRM system as an example. So you know I've managed sales and customer success teams where we've had CRM systems in place, and sometimes as many of you I'm sure can relate to, it is really tough to get a team to use a CRM system and log all of the details about their customer in there and keep it up to date. It's a lot of work to do that. And CRM systems have been around for like 20 plus years, right? Sure. And it's still difficult to get teams to use them. And so what I always did on my teams was say, hey, look, you know, you have goals. The goals are related to the things that are happening in the CRM system. If you don't log it, it doesn't count toward your goal. And I don't care if you tell me that, um, you know, you did it. If it isn't showing up in there, I'm going to assume it didn't happen. And then you're not hitting your goals. And then we have to have a more serious talk. So, it, you know, that I guess that would probably fall into your category of negative incentives, maybe. Yeah. But I think it works. It yeah. absolutely works. So totally. I, I use the CRM analogy all the time because it's an easy one for people yeah. to relate to. And, you know, salespeople mark opportunities closed one because that's how their sale gets recognized. And that's how, how they get, you know, paid. How they get yeah. paid, right? <laughs> now, if in an organization... People are doing that, but when it comes to the sales pipeline meeting, uh-huh. the head of sales and the head of sales operation makes everybody fill out spreadsheets and PowerPoint decks to do their QBR. People will only enter opportunities when they're closed one. They will never enter them ahead of time. Right. But if you're running your forecasting or pipeline meeting off of the CRM system, you'll get a different level of compliance, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's also a form of incentive. Um, so 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that points right back to your, your previous comment about how you need to not just train the users, but also the executives, because they need to know how to use the system so that they can do that. So they can be running things out of your system instead of out of spreadsheets or out of a slide deck. Yes. So, Barring, yeah. uh, you know, I would say collaboration systems that and productivity software that allows right. teams to do things faster. All other systems, if the executive isn't getting their insights from the system, either by logging in or by asking someone to pull it from them, it's going to make it very hard to get adoption because they are if they're relying on something outside of that system to get insights that are being managed inside that system, um, adoption will be a problem. We covered a lot of ideas today about adoption and change management. If you were to suggest one place to start to a customer success leader who wants to improve their program, what would that be? Well, read the Percolate Adoption Framework. Um, Seriously, I think if you're deploying (laughs) complex software, uh, it's a great place to start. Uh, If you're deploying software to organizations that are moving out of the office suite, uh, it's a great place to start. But, um, you know, Another piece of advice is we didn't develop our framework in a vacuum. Uh, we wrote it down based on learnings across multiple customers, and then we validated it with through interviews with many of our customers, finally took it into a customer advisory board meeting, um, sort of riffed on it for two hours, and then finalized the content and, and sort of memorialized it. So I think one of the best things people can do is develop a point of view and then go talk to your customers, talk to one that has completely nailed uh, adoption, and talk to one that is struggling uh, and try and use that to develop your unique approach to driving adoption within your customer base. I love it. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit for our last question today. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Um, So I would say one big trend is uh, funding model. Um, I recently wrote a blog post on this, but I do think we were a bit naive about customer success funding models early days. Um, you know, it was a drive to build out CSM teams and and the justification at the top level was, oh, the reduce in uh, reduction in churn will will pay for those those additional heads. And I think we've become a lot more thoughtful. Um, Percolate yeah. has a monetized uh, customer success model. We sell high value consulting around adoption and we charge for it. Um, that is how we decided to fund our customer success model. For other organizations, it may be different. Um, the second related trend is being able to link the CS activities more tightly to revenue retention. Yeah. Um, and you know, you've probably read about this a lot of times, but I think the holy grail of customer success that we have not yet achieved is being able to prove through data insights uh, that customer success is influencing adoption and usage of the software enough that it becomes an early indicator for future retention rates, right? It's a predictor for retention rates. We're a long way away from that in most organizations, right? Maybe some mature organizations have reached that. So in the absence of that and on the journey to that point, we have to just directly link it to revenue retention, which is we need to be able to measure how all of the work we're doing is directly you know, showing that the revenue retention and the growth component, so the expansion component, is being influenced by it. Um, so those are my two uh, related financial components. And I think... Uh, you asked why. I think the trend is in that direction because you—it's just another cost center. Otherwise, that and, and right. you know, it's it's another cost center with a bunch of heads. And if you can't articulate why, then the question is: if you didn't have it, 
would your financial look any different? Would your business look any different? Would your customers be any less successful? Uh, so I think that's kind of the, um, the, the criticism we have sort of absorbed and we're now acting on as a, as a CS uh, uh, practice. I agree. I think that's a big one. And I, I think it points toward the need for a lot of testing, frankly. Um, I think as you introduce components to your program, you have to you have to look at exactly what you said. You know, what was it like before you introduced that new component? And what change have you created through that component's introduction? And you just need to be very thoughtful and methodical about how you do that and make sure you're measuring everything all along the customer journey. And if you are thoughtful as you do that, then that's actually going to really help you as you you try to demonstrate the return on investment that your company is getting from your customer success efforts. Yes. And, you know, I have recommended reading. I would say every person that's trying to build out a customer success team or has one, uh, even a successful one, should read the TSIA uh, State of Customer Success white paper because what they've done is effectively taken the last few years of customer success uh, and, and really sort of you know, using hard data, uh, formalized an opinion on things that we probably already know, but it's reassuring to hear it from TSIA <laughs> that those are true. Yeah, I think sometimes those studies can be very useful when you're um, needing to position the value of your department to executives within your company as well. Absolutely. So Arjun, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me on today's podcast. I know this topic will be very interesting and resonate with our audience and our listeners always like practical advice and examples. So thank you for sharing that stuff too. Uh, I appreciate your ideas and experiences on change management. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Arjun underscore Devgan or connect with me on LinkedIn. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.